0: Well, this is Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. And I am Jim Grant. And with me, as always, is uh, the great Evan Lorenz, Deputy Editor of Grants. And uh, we have a, a guest today who shall be introduced in the fullness of time, in fact, the shortness of time. But Evan, before we get started with uh, Spencer Jacob and his new book, The Revolution That Wasn't, I want to say two things. I want to say first that this broadcast is sponsored by Grants, Interest Rate Observer. We have, what, six subscriptions left uh After today, I think we have six or eight available for purchase.
1: Uh, I'll have to check with Dell, but I think maybe three or four left at least.
0: Yeah, not many left, but um, first come, first serve, ladies and gentlemen. And the second thing, Evan, and and audience, I would like to point out is that uh, there is an effort afoot, apparently a serious one, with the backing of uh, institutions as estimable as the World Bank and the International Development Association to improve the statistical apparatus of uh, Somalia, the uh, Somali National Bureau of Statistics uh, is going to become, in the words of the press release, a world-class statistical institution, heavily contributing to the development of Somalia. And what I want to ask you, Evan Lorenz, comma, CFA, is why are they bothering? I mean, what what does what do financial data have to do with the price of securities? I am just stumped. I mean, I.
1: Not not very much to judge by the last year, but uh, I guess we're following the lead of other financial basket cases like the U.S., which is seeing 7.5% year-over-year increases in inflation.
0: Well, that's that's for the time being. I understand that this is something that will pass, um, much like uh, actually kind of everything in life is a little bit transitory, I suppose. But um, wouldn't it be something if this didn't uh, scoot along on uh, the uh, sell-side script, on the Fed script, and it it annoyingly persistently lingered? And uh, the world was long bonds, uh, priced to yield about 1.4%. Wouldn't that be a state of affairs? Anyway, it's something, okay. it's, it's something, ladies and gentlemen, that we journalists hope for. It's uh, the worse, the better for us. Which brings me uh, to our guest, Spencer Jacob, who was uh, editor of the Herd on the Street uh, Department of the Wall Street Journal. Before that, he um, wrote uh, Lex for the, the – uh, I forget the name of that newspaper. It's printed on a, a colorful um, – print. Uh, so every, I, I forget it too, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> it's, been, yeah. Been a, it's been a few I, years. And, bef- and before that, Sp- Spencer, um, um, for his sins, uh, made a lot of money on the, uh, uh, as a um, uh, financial professional for a very large bank in Europe, uh, having interest in emerging markets, and got sick and tired of being rich and decided to go work as a as a mendicant. In the financial journalism trade, so Spencer, it is a pleasure to welcome you. And uh, if virtually, if it's just one of the annoying things about the present day. But, but Spencer is on a telephone someplace that he can't divulge, uh, but he is with us nonetheless. So, Spencer, with that windy introduction, would you? Um, oh, well, before oh, I'm not quite finished with this introduction. I have a, an interest to declare, ladies and gentlemen. So, among Spencer's employees, uh, up until fairly recently, was uh, uh, Charles Grant. CFA Charlie Grant, my number two son, worked at the uh, for her on the street the Wall Street Journal until he decided. Well, he he announced one day Spencer that he wanted to get a job on a quote on a real publication, whatever that meant. <laughs> <laughs> so he left Grant's and went to the Wall Street Journal, and he talked. Uh, about his job. He loves his job, and he uh, I can say this now, and that fears of uh, conveying some sort of, uh, of, uh, of uh, you know embarrassing sycophancy on the part of Charlie Graham, but he loved working for you, Spencer. So anyway, with that out of the way, with this interest declared, Spencer, please tell us about the revolution that wasn't.
2: Well, thank you um, I, I just I'll say one more word about uh, about your, your offspring. Um, it was a pleasure six and a half years. We were together and now he's a uh, hundred feet away, or once we get back to the newsroom full time, he'll be a hundred feet away and the the apple does not fall far from the tree, or I guess the the tree is not far from the the apple I don't know it's, it's uh, he's Wonderful to work with. But uh, yes, on to my book. Um, It is about GameStop mania, which was proclaimed as a revolution at the time, uh, a revolution in terms of changing the power structure of Wall Street. Uh, Retail investors had suddenly sort of uh, risen to the the top of the food chain and uh, figured out a new way to make money. And with journalists, we we write the first draft of history, and we're all very excited for those first few days of the GameStop squeeze when GameStop became the most traded stock on Earth, and big hedge funds were bleeding billions of dollars, and uh, people with names like Roaring Kitty were making tens of millions of dollars and showing screenshots of their accounts on on Reddit. But that's not really what happened. What what really happened is more of the same old thing. I mean, it it is a, it is a great story. It's a crazy story, and and there are a lot of unique twists to it for sure. But it wasn't a revolution in this financial sense, or uh, or in the sense of you know. Of, changing the power structure. Mm. So it was a little bit like the um,
0: Egyptian revolution of 2011.
2: Yes. Well, I guess a different guy in charge, right? But uh, but back to the same thing. I mean, it was like a lot of revolutions um, that don't really change a lot. But um, but it, it it was, you know, I, mean, good I, I I admit that I was very excited about it at first, not because I thought it was a revolution, but because, you know, here was something completely different. And it is it is different. Uh, and and the story is is different in many ways from anything I'd ever seen. And I, yeah, I, like you said, I work in emerging markets and a year in emerging markets is like a, like a dog year. You know, you see, um, I, I haven't been doing this as long as you, but a, a year in emerging. Nobody, markets nobody, like has, dog- nobody has, nobody has, nobody has. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but you see a lot of manias, panics and crashes. You see a lot of crazy things. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I, I feel like that sort of doing it for about a decade, you know, I, I See a lot, you know, and then in about 20 years of, of financial journalism too. But, but this was pretty crazy. Um, but, it, but it wasn't a revolution. And, and it tells you a lot about how this new generation of, I don't even want to call them investors, but speculators, traders, uh, is being milked by uh, by financial institutions. You know, it's they're being milked in the same old way, but in many you new and unique ways, too.
1: That's one thing that really interested me. Before we spoke today, I was going on to Reddit like Wall Street Bets to see what people are saying about your book. And I went to like reviews on Amazon.com. And people are irate, but they're irate at you. They're not irate at the financial intermediaries that misled them. They're not mad at themselves for having getting suckered in and losing money. But they've written reviews like, I'm halfway through this book. And if you are an ape, which is what they call themselves, then you're going to want to rip the pages out and tweet your anger towards the author. These people are mad at you, but not at anybody else, it seems. Yeah,
2: no, I'm uh, I'm I'm all over I'm all over Reddit and yeah, there lots of reviews. So it's interesting. Many of them didn't uh, actually purchase the book, but um, they just sort of they saw the title <laughs> or they saw an interview or whatever, so they they could they could at least buy the thing, right? I mean, before they they leave their one star review. But yeah, no, they're they're angry at you know they feel like they not only did they feel like they won, but um the kind of postscript to the book uh is, is that this is continued and so it's a nice thing when you write a book and you rush and you sort of every evening weekend vacation falling asleep at the at the keyboard so you can get it out on the the anniversary of the events it's a very quick turnaround for a book um and i thought like well it's that that will sort of be the apropos for people sort of reading it and looking at it is that it'll be the one year anniversary. Otherwise it'll be this sort of historical blip. But it's not because they've tried to make lightning strike a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. And they're still at it. And so there's a there's a hardcore of these people, um, a little bit like financial QAnon, you know, where they, they believe that the real revolution hasn't happened and the real squeeze hasn't happened. And shares of GameStop and AMC and these other meme stocks are going to go up to hundreds of thousands of dollars and bankrupt you know, major institutions on Wall Street. So uh, the, the fact that I'm pouring cold water on that you know, makes me a bad person.
0: Well, I would like to uh, enter a review of this book which is uh, uh, laudatory in the extreme. And I would like to compliment the uh, the prose style, which is silken, and the insights, which are numerous, and uh, the wit, which is ever-present. An example of the wit and wisdom in one single sentence is, quote, they are the price of admission to those gaudy long-term returns. They, referring to bear markets, which is one of the you know, around, around here, Spencer, we talk about bear markets as a value restoration project. This um, idea that uh, uh, to earn long-term returns, you must suffer uh, a bear market, uh, you know, not for our money, not uh, frequently enough, but uh, that's, uh, you know, cycles are a part of life in finance. And that is, as you say so well here, the price of admission. So how many stars can you get something on Amazon, Evan? Is it uh, like five or something?
1: Not enough, but five is the limit.
0: <laughs> okay. Spencer, so you get six.
2: Grans okay. Sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Because you need six. to pull the average up. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, anyone yeah. else listening here, if you, you know, if you read it and you liked it on wherever you happen to purchase it, then uh, I'll always appreciate it in uh, actual review, even yeah. if it's three stars or four stars.
0: Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about this. There's so many colorful characters in this who um, uh, contribute to the um, very fine um, and indeed gripping narrative. And one of them is Keith Patrick Gill, CFA, a.k.a. Yeah. Roaring Kitty and Deep Bleep Value. Now, you refer to him in uh, one place, also as a former uh, college track star, as a considerable character. As his mother said, you quote his mother, as you, I guess a journal reporter, quote his mother saying, quote, Keith always liked money. <laughs> so <laughs> so well, Keith... Keith um, harvests about the better part of 50 million dollars. I, I guess has his, have his gains gone long term yet? Let's call it uh, let's call it 24 million dollars after first cut of tax. But still, it's a lot of money when you say it fast. And um, Keith appears in uh, it was one uh, picture. He's, he's got a he's got a sweatband on, but he's also got wristbands. He's got a he's got a glass of beer nearby, but. Um, so the, I understand the beer. That's that's helpful sometimes. But why the wristbands? Did you ever
2: find that out? You know, I, I did not. <laughs> that's not my question. I, I okay. did not. Yeah, I did not. I, I couldn't really get, get into his, sort of his his style okay. choices okay. and stuff. But yeah, but uh, but no, that that's you know he often wore them. Uh, he'd have four-hour YouTube videos, so he had, he had two alter egos. He had one on on Reddit, which began first, and then um, another on, on YouTube is Roaring Kitty. Um, and and there you know he would sip Belgian beers he liked delirium Tremens uh, and he'd go on and on but the interesting thing about well the many interesting things about him and that's that's why I trace the the progression of the story through through him is that for eighty to ninety percent of the story he he was sort of ridiculed um, you know if you go on on social media. You know, and he he didn't flout his credentials. He didn't say who he was. Uh, I don't know if he would have been more uh, more credible if he had, or less credible if he had said that he's a CFA, which is a very difficult designation to uh, to get. Um, but you know, he he would say like, oh, I, I double my money. People would say, well, sell. And he said, no, 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 you know I'm, that's uh you know or the, the price price has gone up. I'm sad about that because I wanted to accumulate more at a lower price so he, his thinking was was completely different uh to ninety nine percent of people who went on yeah. on this message board, Wall Street bets, and he was very cerebral and he wrote in complete sentences and he was respectful uh and he just was pretty much, when he wasn't being ridiculed, he was just ignored. Uh, that's a, kind of a formula for how not to get attention on social media. And then he was later discovered, and all these posts that he had made were discovered, and then he became the most influential person uh, in finance for a few days, basically.
0: <laughs> well, it happens to all of us for like uh, you know three or four minutes, but uh, <laughs> a, a span of three or four days is, is considerable. Uh, I, I love the way um, towards the end when when uh, you know there there was this uh, there was a squeeze and there was the suspension of uh, the uh, the buying opportunity in the meme stocks uh, it's a great scandal and then there was a the reaction to the scandal and um, and uh, you quote the most oddly assorted cast of characters popping off in pure ignorance about what had happened and the cast of characters oops includes is almost it's almost incredible. But here it is, Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz, AOC and my favorite <laughs> Donald Trump Junior. I mean, where do these people come
2: from? <laughs> I right, and they they all they all sort of I mean, and it's hard to say sometimes whether people got it wrong or um or just intentionally got it wrong. They understood what, you know, but but saying, you know, pointing out what actually happened would be boring and, and, and make them look like part of the conspiracy.
1: I would also like to you – know, I don't think we could find another topic that would actually probably unite people as diverse as Bernie Sanders and uh, Don Trump Jr.
2: No, and this is – I mean this is three weeks uh, after the the Capitol riots. I mean this this is eight days after Biden is inaugurated. It. it was a you know, pretty – well, it still is, but it, it's pretty fraught time politically. So yeah, to find an issue that they can all agree on, and then late night talk show hosts, you know, sort of all laid into it as well. Then Maxine Waters and whatever, and yeah, so it was, you know, everyone was in agreement
1: on something bad happened. Spencer, you, uh, Uh, I'd love, sorry, um, Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you go ahead, Evan. So. One thing that struck me what you said at the beginning is a lot of people are mad at you because they still expect one more squeeze to carry GameStop up to like an unknown high plateau. And that kind of reminded me of cargo cults, which was a term that came up in World War II because we were dropping so many crates of material on Pacific Islands that some of these um, tribes who were just hunter-gatherers would find these like giant crates full of like food, supplies, and weapons, and they developed kind of, you know, religions around them. But here you have people who have developed kind of a religion around the stock market. Have you ever seen a cargo cult kind of applied to finance in this? way before i mean it's it's a little bit like that right, and so there, there are whole elaborate
2: theories there there are people who have hundreds of thousands of subscribers on on YouTube who you know go on several times a week and and talk about how it's coming and it's called um, if you want to go on on social media but hashtag M-O-A-S-S, uh, mother of all short squeezes so they are expecting the big one to come and it 's a lot like um I mean it keeps not happening, obviously, and it's not going to, but it's a bit like uh those boat leaders, I guess, you know, who say that the world is going to end. That that's what it seems more like to me. Hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. You
0: know, it's a little close to home. <laughs> 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 no, end,
2: end, not, you know, not not hyperinflation end, Jim. You know, the the end, the end, over, you know and oh, end, end of end, you know, sort of life as we know it. And you know, and so, <laughs> so, you know, and, and then let's say at midnight on X day and then it doesn't happen and most of them kind of stick with it and, and even more fervently believe, and they, they can be convinced of this. Hey, Spencer, um, drop what you're doing on October
0: 18th and, uh, and come to the Grants Conference. We have a, we've been doing these conferences for, the, I guess, for, um, almost 40 years now, not quite, but um, we're having uh, a conference on October 18th. It's the Plaza Hotel, and um, we are having uh, a fine assortment of speakers, among whom is, uh, is Tom Honig president of the Kansas City Fed in the day, and he um, made his mark in Federal Reserve history by dissenting uh, against the um, uh, Bernanke-sponsored policy of quantitative easing. That would uh, create a lot of mischief, and uh, he uh, was bold and persistent, and indeed, um, given the social pressures against speaking out, heroic. So Tom Honing is going to be there. Eddie Chancellor, who is. Uh, with a new, uh, soon, we'll be out with a, a new book on interest rates called um, The Price of Time. It's a terrific book. I've read it in proof. he will be speaking, and so will one of the very fine investors uh, called Chris Bloomstrand, who runs a uh, separate Augustus Investment Group. We wrote about uh, Chris Bloomstrand in uh, in Grants not so long ago, and we're, Evan and I were both deeply impressed by the way he went about his business. Yeah, so um, October 18th, come to the conference. Now, this whole crusade against uh, the short interest, which short interest is pitiably thin. I don't know what it is statistically, but the people who do this for a living, the people um, – you quote Andrew Left, I think, uh, uh, as the figurehead. The figurehead's figure, yes, in this book they do. So Mr. Left uh, got out of the business of commenting on his short ideas because he was hounded out and and he is uh, uh, not at all the, the worst sufferer on the, on the skeptical or the bearish side of things uh, because of the levitations of the past, most of the past dozen years post the financial crisis. So, so now the Justice Department is, is uh, finding evil doing among in the, in the, the short sellers, and, uh, and there's, there's this conspiracy. In, in the, anyway, it's, it's, it seems an odd
2: group of people to be targeting. It is, and it isn't, right? Because, I mean, if you. Go to Google right now and you uh, try this at home, everybody. Short sellers are, and then tell me what comes up. It's not a nice word. Uh, they sure. are—they're historically reviled, right? And uh, you know, you go back to the, the earliest stock markets in the 1600s, and there have been periods when short sellers have been yeah. punished and banned and, and whatever. And I think that—and then it's—it's it's just strange for, especially for retail investors, to have such animus towards them because short sellers, you know. First of all, they, short sellers were having a terrible time even before this. It, 2020 was one of the worst years ever for short selling, and right. the level of short interest in the market was extremely low. Uh, but the other thing is that, that short sellers—not that they're, they're angels or whatever—but they are. Their existence is, is beneficial to the least experienced investors, in particular. Uh, a, because they provide liquidity to the market, but B, because they make prices more correct. I mean, if you, you know. If there are only two default choices, you can buy a stock or not buy it because you think it's too expensive or, or risky or whatever, then that's leaving out a third option, which is betting against it, which is basically saying, I think this is actually too high and I'm going to make the opposite bet. And for a group of people that's not particularly well-equipped to look at a company, uh, maybe they, they see the chart going up and then they buy it for that reason, but not to do a, a deep dive or, or whatever – they need somebody out there who's a skeptic, take the opposite view, so that the price is at least more correct. And there are many cases well, so you think, where yeah, – yeah. Yeah, yeah, So attacking them is sort of a, a strange, but they were very much made the the enemy in this. And um, yeah. and then bashing them was conflated with bashing Wall Street. But, of course, Wall but, Street – short, really yeah,
0: short sellers are not Wall Street with a capital W and S. Short sellers are – was it uh, Evans? A small perverse cult – I think is what uh, somebody we we had T-shirts made of that uh, defiantly we had T-shirts made of that uh, slogan a go. ago. Um, in, in this book, there's so many um, uh, great lines. One of them has to do with uh, uh, Spencer when he's not writing books and not editing. Uh, Heard on the street is a uh, father of three, I think, right? Yes, three, yes, three, yes. three, three apes, right? I Three apes. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, uh, you observe, Spencer, that um, that each one of these, uh, that, that, you know, all of us walk around with a phone nearby, perhaps in our hands, in our pocket. And this phone is the compendium of all the uh, world's wisdom and knowledge. And yet, uh, one's apes cannot tell you what the Magna Carta is. So um, uh, uh, we, are, uh, we have at our fingertips. Uh, the world's entire store of, of wisdom and, and, you know, and uh, facts and pornography. Oh, and yes, that too. Pornography, sure. But in the face of the availability of the wisdom of the world, people insist on making the same error, stepping on the same rakes. And I, 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 I'm not glad that Jack Bogle is not around to read this book, but I think if he were around, it would break his heart. Because he, he tried throughout his life, and indeed he succeeded in a way that few have ever succeeded in, in applying a, a single, uh, simple doctrine of investing and making an institution of it. So he did that. But my goodness, the the defiance of those ideas, the uh, insistence on acting against them, is what fills the page of this book. And I guess fills the message boards, and the uh, and the message boards is the term from the 1990s, but it fills the... Uh, uh, the chat rooms and all—it's—it's
2: it's kind of crazy. Well, it, it 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 is, and I mean, and and so the you're always sort of taught that the 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 four most dangerous words in investing are, are "this time is different." This this time is always the same. Human psychology changes very very slowly. We're very poorly wired to be investors, which is why you you know you have panics, and that's why you have manias. And and so why would this be different? And I, I guess I would put, add a corollary to that, which is that, that yes, that the human psyche is the same, but the companies uh, involved in this story uh, have studied psychology very carefully, social psychology in particular. And so they understand how to push our buttons very, very well. And and that has changed. So, you know, you, you would have, I don't know, if you've gone back 40 years and told somebody there's this device you can carry in your hand, you'll have live Free stock tickers, all the news about a company, uh, a bunch of people, experts to consult, and a bunch of amateurs to consult who will give you advice for free. Um, you could trade for zero dollars and and you know and pull up a stock chart and do whatever. Do you think that people will be better investors? And they would have said, yes, of course, I would love to have a, a device like that. But it it, it actually has made people. Worse investors, in a way. I mean, it's 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 cheaper to invest, which is one saving grace, but everything else is worse because you 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 have so many influences on you, and and just the, the being able to to look all day will yeah. hurt you. And we know that that activity is inversely correlated with returns for for investors. <laughs> I think study after study shows it, and the if you open up Robinhood or one of its many imitators the first thing that you'll see is what other people are buying and what's going up and what's going down and that's that's not just useful information it's it's put there to get you to trade and Robinhood, you know they they don't charge you anything but they sell your trades and so they're very interested in having you be as active as possible and they'll you know they've designed their app very very well and then social media well social media you know they they don't write the messages, you write the messages, right? But um, if you write something uh, crazy and inflammatory, especially on a, a subreddit like Wall Street Bets, uh, it's going to be viral and people are going to upload it and read it and, and be engaged with it. And so well, let's not the, get too
0: the... far away from the product here. The product is a revolution that wasn't GameStop, yeah. Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors by Spencer Jacob. Okay, so I'm going to read a paragraph or part of a paragraph here to give you a taste of this uh, fine, fine book. Quote, the company had seen a turnover grow by 100% in its most recent quarter, and it just bought its first Super Bowl ad. The millions of mostly young male users of its intuitive smartphone app can wager as little as a few bucks on a long shot and get the rush of making multiples of their money. They even get a free bet when they first sign up. Oops, sorry, that actually is description of the online sports betting company DraftKings. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yep. That's why I mean, it's so stupid that Somalia is wasting this money on <laughs> improving the national statistics. <laughs> they don't need better data.
2: They need, they need fewer smartphones. So, well, I mean, it, if you look at, at Robin Hood and you look at DraftKings or you know FanDuel or whatever, they, they look very similar. And it's, it's no accident, in, in my opinion, that they look very similar. I mean, they're, they're frictionless. They're intuitive. The colors are enticing. The, the fonts are even oddly similar that they use.
0: Let me draw one. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, my dad would take me to Yankee Stadium. Uh, he was a Yankee fan. Annoyingly, I was a Dodger fan. But we went to Yankee Stadium in the 1950s. Um, it was the 1850s. No, 1950s, yep. And um, <laughs> there was a sign um, right on the left field near the bullpen, Yankee bullpen, and it said, uh, no betting. Dad, what's that? Well, that's uh, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis's uh, decree um, after the Black Sox scandal. What was the Black Sox scandal? So he learned about the history of gambling and how it was verboten at baseball. So fast forward a few, yeah, a few generations now, and you find that, um, uh, that uh, you know, is the revolution that wasn't. Reminds you that uh, betting on sports is endemic, very, very much like betting on stocks. Um, both of bad odor from yesteryear, both now part of the mainstream of American culture, uh, Betting on sports led to scandals that corrupted the game and almost broke the business model of Major League Baseball. Um, Spencer, will there be a scandal of some kind that perhaps we're not even able to visualize now having to do with what they call the gamification of investing or speculation that will be similarly damaging uh, to the business of capital allocation to its highest and most profitable uses?
2: It's an ongoing scandal. I mean, that's what I I think is um, people miss about this is that, you know, you you can sit back and you can tsk tisk when uh, people buy things on the basis of the greater fuel theory. And you know that it's the greater fool theory rather and you you know that it's going to, to end badly and you can not participate and, you know, wait for them to learn their lesson. But while they're learning their lesson, I mean, it, it distorts capital markets. And what's the reason for having capital markets? It's not the, the reason that we have gambling parlors, right? It's it's to allocate capital. So the the next Apple is is out there somewhere uh, and trying to raise money. And maybe. Its story is not compelling. I mean, maybe it's it's not you know maybe it's, it's not capturing people's imagination. Uh, who are using these apps? Uh, who are the the people who sort of to pump up the values of, of these new shiny companies? And they're pumping up the values of other things that have I don't know fake hydrogen garbage trucks that that uh, are rolled downhill in a video to convince people that they work or what have you, right? <laughs> so the you know or buying you know dog coins. I mean that's so not just that that people. I mean it's bad enough that that these young people are going to have a bad experience um, when this you know scales fall from everyone's eyes, but also that capital markets are sort of not, not can't really function well, uh, especially for the new companies that most need equity capital that can't just go to the bank.
1: Spencer, um, as you've noted, this is hardly the first retail mania. We had kind of the junk stock market in the late 1960s with the Nifty Fifty. We had the dot-com boom in the late 90s where Yahoo message boards were kind of like the key focus. And now we had the the, the GameStop, you know, uh, stonkification of, you know, investing. And it seems like each time it gets worse and each time technology makes it worse. Have we reached a permanently high plateau of badness in terms of um retails getting suckered in and losing money? Or is this kind of heralding that next time it'll be even more perverse and even worse than what we saw last year?
2: Um I don't know. I think that uh, that we've we've sort of we've gotten pretty close to the bottom. I mean, because the difference this time, of course the technology is the difference, like I said before. I mean in terms of and interest of rates how, are the how... difference too. Right. But zero yeah. percent rates go with zero commissions, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that that plays a a, a key part. I mean, zero, you know, the the fact that just psychologically, I mean, even if you you're not doing a DCF calculation on paper or in your head, um, having interest rates at at zero makes these lottery uh, lottery ticket like bets more appealing. I mean, that's that it it inflates the kind of the distant uncertain payoff or the appeal of it. Right. Um, You know, rates, I guess they can go below zero. Um, The cost of trading, you know, they could pay you to trade. But the fact that we went from, you know, going from 200 to 100 to 50 to 30 to 10 to 5 made trading much more easy. It made it much more accessible. And, and being able to do it through a smartphone and whatever made it much more accessible. But being able to do it so intuitively, so frictionlessly through a smartphone at a cost of zero, I think we really kind of crossed a Rubicon. So I don't, I don't know how much more, I, I guess I shouldn't say that, but I don't know how much further you can push it in terms of it just encouraging bad judgment, right? I mean, people don't have to think about it at all. If you open up a Robinhood account, if you're at a, a party with a friend and your friend says, hey, I have a Robinhood account and I think you should buy uh, this, this crazy stock, You can open an account, they get a free share of stock for referring you, you get a free share of stock, which is just could be a very highly valued stock in some cases. So it could be more than the amount of money that you put in, you could be putting 50 bucks or or less into your account to open it. And even before the the money hits your account, they give you the option of of making your first trade. So they sort of front you the money, uh, because as long as it's on the way. So you, you don't even have that cooling off period of, well, it's going to take two or three days for the account to be active. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know how much kind of more uh, appealing you can get to sort of impulsive behavior than we already are.
0: We said we sound as if um, uh, this is not fun. And I think that uh, one one thing does come out of the book is just just how what a riot this all was. The people who were doing this, amusement, uh, entertainment's uh, no small part of of this phenomenon. Right. And um, uh, certainly Jack Bogle had uh, the angels on his side when he talked about the long term and about, uh, you know, he was I guess uh, he was advocating hodling. Um, uh, but uh, my goodness, how dull it sounded, and how virtuous it sounded, and how bad this sounds now, and how so, and how much fun it is. So um, you know, we are a little bit. We're preaching uh, that people ought to get on the wagon, and what well, they really want is just one or two
2: or three IPAs a day. Is that too much to have? <laughs>
0: well, yeah,
2: yeah. I think it's. I think that. I think that's fine. I mean, obviously, everything in moderation, but it 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 is fun for this generation and and so so many things have to happen in conjunction just to lay the groundwork for this. And and so I, I keep getting asked again and again, do you think that this will happen again? It's, I don't think that this, this episode can really repeat again, because I think, first of all, Wall Street is on its guard. I mean, the big hedge funds, most of them now monitor social media or pay somebody to monitor social media for them. And by monitor, I mean, like, you know, they have computer programs that can read it more quickly than humans can read it and, and reach some conclusion and sort of red lights will go off. At their their hedge funds' headquarters, if uh one of their positions is affected, but also because so many things had to happen in conjunction, including the the pandemic, you had young people stuck at home, bored who had young men especially had had rushed into sports gambling on their phones, and all of a sudden there were no sports to bet on uh and then here was the thing that was Briefly, much more profitable to bet on because if you got into the stock market at the, the bottom in March 2020, uh, then over the next year, 96% of stocks rose. So, you know, you, you really felt like a genius no matter what you bought. And it, especially if you bought the things that, uh, that serious people in suits were telling you were a little bit too risky, you did very, very well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it told you that this sort of professional advice was worse than worthless. Uh, it told you that investing is easy and success is, is a very poor teacher.
0: Yeah, I like the, the uh, somewhere in in this fine book there was a quote um, from I guess a Robin Hood ad was, from Super Bowl ad was that um, investors uh, good investors uh, aren't um, made you you are born or you you were born a good investor was the essence of it when in fact one is, is born with every compelling instinct to uh, to buy high and sell low that's the way we're wired. Yes, you were. Um, you don't become a good investor; you were born one. That was a Robin Hood ad, as quoted yes, yes. Uh, in this fine book. So, um, uh, Evan, I always forget the name. I should not forget the, the name of the uh, Federal Reserve Governor now teaching at Harvard when uh, uh, commenting on uh, about 2011, 2012 when uh, there were intimations that uh, low interest rates and QE were fostering moral hazard and excesses and things like private equity. He, uh, soon to be named because everyone's going to remember the name. Uh, uh, Jeremy uh, Stein, I think. Jeremy Stein, yeah. So, said uh, apropos of uh, interest rates, or he, he was talking about monetary policy, but he meant interest rates. Quote, they get in all the cracks. Close quote. And I have on my desk a, a press clipping for the New York Post about six months ago. And in it, uh, Spencer and Evan, uh, the uh, author of the piece, is asserting on his or her own authority, it was, a, it was a kind of a New York Post uh, you know, flash, uh, that um, the Federal Reserve has no control over NFTs, non fungible tokens, or <laughs> such, other such things, and that rising interest rates, if they did rise, would have no effect on the price of NFTs. And I think that conceit is pretty well distributed in the market. And people say, yeah, well, the Fed's got nothing, you know, rates, bonds. But um, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch the uh, potential collision between that misconception and the unbudgeable fact of rising cost of capital, perhaps in the back of a persistent rate of inflation. It could, uh, once again, I envy you, Specialist, to such a great copy.
2: How can you, how can <laughs> you even... Can, can imagine being out of the office during this fine period. I know, uh, J- Jim. I'm going to go out on a limb here and um, and guess that you don't. You're not the proud owner of a JPEG of an ape.
1: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you know, I'm I'm going to argue that NFTs argue that inflation is much higher than we otherwise report it. Five years ago, clip art was free. You, you can go into Microsoft Word <laughs> and actually clip whatever you want to. And now people are paying millions of dollars for stuff that I could have gotten for free, you know, three or four years ago.
0: That's inflation. <laughs> um, Spencer, um, thank you for being on this uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer podcast, uh, one. And thank you for writing a revolution that wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the fleecing of small investors, two. Thank you for both. And also for um, uh, shepherding Charlie Grant um, through six and a half years of very productive work at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for all of that.
2: Well, you're, you're very welcome on all those counts. Thanks so much for having
0: yeah. me. Well, that's it from Current Yield, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Spencer, thank you for being here once more, and we will talk to you again soon on Current Yield Grants, Interest Rate Observer of the Air.